We have been, over the last four weeks, in a series just called Stories. Uh, and we have been looking at the stories that we find in Scripture, uh, the stories that maybe some of us have, have known for a while and, and have just kind of chalked up to as this is a, a Sunday school story and, and what do I have to learn now that I'm, I'm a grown person? And so uh, sometimes we have these thoughts, we have these thoughts about some of those stories, but, but man, all of Scripture is one of the greatest stories ever told. The scripture is just an amazing story from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation. We have story of, of creation in Genesis chapter 1 and the fall in Genesis chapter 3. And then from there on out, we have a story of, of restoration and wholeness and, and just a God who is, who is wanting to just chase his people and love his people and draw them back to himself. It's a, it's a beautiful story that scripture Tells. Within that story, though, I think I, I think I said this a few weeks ago, I, I really do feel like there should be just a few blank pages in between Jude and Revelation, just as a reminder for us that this story that God is telling is not over yet. Right? Revelation has not happened. We are right in the middle of Jude and Revelation right now, and God is not done telling this story. We play a part in God's story. But there are stories even here in Scripture that teach us about our faith, about our life, and help us to grow in the way that God would have us to grow. So far, we've, we've taken a look at, at Daniel, the, the story of Daniel, and we looked at the whole book of Daniel, really, and talked about how Daniel teaches us what it looks like and how to stand up for our faith, to be strong in our faith, to stand up for what we believe in, even in the midst of, of penalty of death. Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den for doing what? For praying just like he had done before. Right, we, we looked at Jonah, the book of Jonah, and the story of Jonah, and looked at, at the calling of God and, and the, what happens sometimes when we run from the calling of God. That we can never run from God himself, but we run from the calling of God. We run from what God is calling us to. And we looked at Jonah, and we looked at that concept of calling, and, and what are we running from, and saying yes to the call of God. Week three, we looked at Esther and looked at this dynamic between faith and risk and how, how risk is kind of the catalyst to our faith. As we, as we take some risks and do what God is calling us to do, then our faith just grows exponentially. Our faith will continue to shoot up and we'll be, continue to look more and more like God would have us to look like. And last week we looked at Joshua and just looked at the boldness that God is calling us to. Be strong and courageous. Be bold. Make a difference in your communities. Make a difference wherever you are. Be bold. God is calling us to have a bold faith. This week, <clears throat> we're going to look at, at maybe a, a lesser-known story, a lesser-known character in Scripture. It's the story of Naaman. It's in 2 Kings chapter 5. Uh, if you want to turn there, that's just where we're going to be today. Uh, this is one of those days where I'm not going to be flipping around everywhere. And so... Uh, 2 Kings chapter 5, uh, you can get there. If you're in one of our pew Bibles, on page 316. Uh, and I'll just give you all your turn in there, just a little bit of a background on Naaman and who Naaman was. Naaman lived in about 850 B.C. Uh, Naaman was not Jewish. He was the commander of the Aramean army. Uh, the Aramean army, the Aramean nation, was kind of a nomadic nation. And this is where they were settled at the time. It was somewhere kind of near where present-day Syria is. Right? This, is this is where 
this takes place. But this story of Naaman, we don't read a lot about Naaman, but we have this one chapter about Naaman. This story of Naaman really, I think, gives us some, some insight and it addresses the, the expectation that a lot of people have and their relationship with God. Particularly in weeks like this week, where we experience loss and we experience some hard times. We, we want to know why. We feel like God owes us an explanation. We feel like we are owed an explanation by God. And, and the story of, of Naaman kind of addresses this. We, we feel like God should just tell us why he does what he does or why he allows what he allows or why he asks of us what he asks of us. And, and part of this is because that we have come to know so much about how God works. Right? Now, to be fair, we know pretty much nothing about how God works, but we know some things. Every day, science is teaching us more and more about how the universe, how, how large the universe is. Right? Every time I see some science come out about the universe. I just, my mind is just blown at how big our God is. I, I love it, right? We, we learn every single day more and more about how our body works and how different things in our body works. And, and every time I learn more about how our body works, my mind is blown at how big our God is. Right, we, we've, we've kind of, we, we come, the way we were built as humans is to kind of accumulate knowledge. And so as that has happened, we have kind of come to expect it. God does something, we should know why. Or we should know how. And it's, it's exciting to know that stuff. It's exciting to continue to learn more about how God is moving and working in the world. But but it gives us that assumption, that assumption that we should be able to know how and why about everything. It's how we're designed. But the story of Naaman reminds us that God doesn't owe us an explanation. God doesn't owe us an explanation for, for everything he does or everything that he allows or everything that he asks. And so I, I want to just read this story out of 2 Kings chapter 5. We'll, we'll make some stops along the way here, but I want to read this story and talk about Naaman and Naaman's life. <clears throat> Chapter 5, verse 1. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram <clears throat> had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king said. <clears throat> the king of Aram replied, Excuse me. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left taking with him ten talents of silver, six, she six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life 
Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. I want to stop right there. I want to think for a second, just to kind of put ourselves in this story of Naaman, about the big things that we go through. It may not be leprosy, a skin disease, and in most cases incurable disease. It may not be anything like that, but is there something in your life that you just, you wake up and you're thinking about it. You go to bed and you're thinking about it. It is a big deal in your life. Again, it might not be a skin disease, but it might be something that just daily, it just, it just is always on your mind. It's always weighing on you. It's always kind of, kind of taking you away from, from normal things of life. And, and, I, and I love that we want it resolved in a positive way, right? There's nothing that we want necessarily resolved in a negative way. We want it all resolved in a positive way. But I love the response of Elisha here. Have him come. I was thinking about this this week as I was thinking about this. Have him come. And he didn't say, have him come and I'll heal him. Don't worry about, don't, don't worry about what you're worrying about, king. This is not going to start a war. Just have him come and I'll heal him. That's not what happens. That's not the word of Elisha. Elisha says, have him come and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. Interesting. And that just, that stuck out to me this week, that it wasn't about have him come and and I'll heal him. It was have him come and he's going to know that there is a prophet in Israel. And what is this, what is this, what is this going towards? He will know that there is not just a prophet in Israel, but there is a God in Israel. Have him come and he will know that there's a prophet in Israel. So two questions. Who is this Elisha guy, right? Elisha is kind of the, the, the next in line to Elijah, who we read about in 1 Kings. Elijah, maybe I'll tell some of those stories in one of these weeks. Uh, Elijah is a prophet who does some just amazing things. All right, he goes, and uh, probably the most memorable of which, maybe you, we won't go back and read it, but the most memorable encounter, I think, that Elijah has, there's a few actually, but I'll just say this one. He, he goes basically against 500 prophets of Baal. 500 against one. And he's kind of challenging them and challenging their God to a test, to a challenge with his God, the, our God. And so he, he gets to this place and he says, build an altar to your God. And then pray and call down fire from heaven and see if your God will respond with fire from heaven. And so the, the 500 prophets of Baal, they... they uh, they build this altar and they, they pray to God and they're praying for fire and no fire is coming. And Elijah just starts to just kind of make fun of them a little bit, right? Where's your God? <clears throat> maybe he's sleeping. Right? Maybe he's just, maybe he's doing something else right now. Maybe if you pray louder, he will hear you, right? And he kind of is just taunting these prophets. And then to even kind of drive it home further, he tells them to pour water on his, his altar, makes a moat and pours water, enough water to fill the moat and just to soak the altar. And he prays down fire from heaven and fire comes from heaven and, and just erupts his altar. 
and the name of God is praised. This is just one of the stories of Elijah. Elijah has some pretty crazy stories, right? But Elisha is kind of the apprentice, if you will, to Elijah. Elisha also does some crazy stuff. I did a series on Elisha not too long ago. You can take a look back in our podcast and, and see all of the, the Elisha stories that are there. I'm not going to necessarily share Elisha stories this morning, but this is who Elisha is. Eli- Elisha is kind of the apprentice to Elijah, right? And so Elisha is, is kind of is the prophet in this story that is doing these, this, this healing. So let's, let's keep reading with that in mind. So Naaman went with his horses and chariot and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. I want you to notice Naaman's response here in verse 11. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he surely that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Parpar the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned off and he went away in a rage. I thought. Now hold on a second. I've got way better rivers than the Jordan River back where I was. Why would I want to go and wash in the dirty Jordan River? It's a dirty river. Why would I want to go and do that? How am I going to be cleansed just like that? Now, I thought, now this doesn't make sense, Elisha. You can just kind of see and kind of feel the frustration of Naaman here. Like, I thought you were just going to kind of come out and and wave your hand over my body and I would just be healed. I, I... thought things were going to be different. Now, how many times have you and I thought that exact same thing? God calls us to do something, and it just doesn't quite make sense. I thought things would go differently. I thought if I started doing this, that my life would be different. I thought that if I started tithing, my life would just be totally better financially. I would just be, be better off. I was going to get a check in the mail every single month reimbursing me from God. Right? I thought things would be different. I thought if I prayed for this to happen, that it would happen in this exact way that I prayed. I thought things would be different. Now, God, what are you up to? Because I don't understand. And sometimes, like Naaman, we walk away angry a little bit because God isn't acting the way that we would expect God to act. God, would you just explain this to me? Would you explain to me why I have to do it this way? Would you explain to me why that this is happening even though I feel like I'm doing the right thing? God, would you explain to me What is going on here? And sometimes we get a little angry. I thought things would be different. And this is exactly what Naaman thinks. He goes on, verse 13. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down 
And he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and he said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry. For your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Rimmon to bow down, and he is leaning on my arm, and I have to bow there also. When I bow in the temple of Rimmon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Go in peace, Elisha said. I want to stop right there. And this is where we'll kind of end the story. It goes on, and there's some, some drama with some of Naaman's people trying to, trying to get a payment that, was, that was Naaman wanted to pay, right? But I want to stop right here, because I think this is, this is where we need to stop this morning as we're talking about what we're talking about. Naaman would have missed the encounter that God had planned for him had he waited for an explanation. Had he continued to just be angry about what God was asking him to do and refusing to do it because it didn't make sense, he would have missed out. He would have missed out on this healing. He would have missed out on, on, on whatever God has for him Really, from this point on, you can see at this point, there is a life that has changed because of what God has done. He goes and he says, I'm not going to, I believe in this God. I'm going to make no other sacrifices to any other God but this God. Even going so far as to kind of look forward and to think about his life moving forward and say, hey, this guy that I take into the, to the temple of Rimmon, like when he bows down, I'm helping him. So technically, I'm bowing down too. Will you just have God forgive me for that even now? I know that I'm going to have to do it. I, I don't want to do it. Will you forgive me even now? He's, he's looking ahead and he's thinking about his life and he's thinking, man, look at all. Look, I, my life needs to change. Look what God has done in my life. I need to be different. I think, I think he would have missed out if he waited before he said yes. Sometimes I think, I think we're in the same spot. It's kind of paralysis by analysis in our faith. We go and we, we feel a need. We feel like God shows us a need that is out there. We feel like God shows us a direction to go. We feel like God is showing us a way to do something. But it doesn't make sense. And so what do we do? We do nothing because we're waiting for God to kind of finish his explanation. We would really like to see the outcome before we take step one. And I think Naaman, Naaman thought the same thing until some of his servants kind of talked some sense into him. Naaman, if, if he would have asked you to go and do some just, just wild, grand things, would you not have gone and tried to do that? It kind of reminds me of like a, one of those fairy tale stories where the, the prince really wants to be married to the princess and he has to go slay a dragon, right? 
It's one of those. It's all, uh, that's kind of what I was picturing as they were talking like, Naaman, if, if they would have asked you to go slay a dragon, you would have tried to go slay that dragon. But he's asking you to go and, and sit in the Jordan River seven times. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't you do that? Just because it doesn't make sense? And sometimes I think we have the same in our faith. If God, we feel like, God, if you would just ask me to do some just amazing, just grand things, I would do it. I would go to wherever you want me to go. I would do whatever you want me to do. Oh, it's just this small thing? Well, that doesn't really make sense. I don't think I'm going to do that. Have you been there? I've been there. I've been there. I, this, this story, I think, is, is really descriptive of some parts of my life, honestly. I, I think God is calling us to do some things. God is asking you to say yes to some things or just to, to follow him and to trust him. And, and sometimes if, if we're just waiting to know more and to, to have more answers, to have all of our questions answered before we say yes to following in him and to, to trusting in him, I, we're missing out. God is calling us to say yes now. So let's go. Let's say yes. Let's do things. And, and God is going to call us to do more and more and more. We're going to be bold for him like Joshua. We might have to take some risks for him like Esther did. We might, we might not want to do it like Jonah, right? This is kind of all ties in right now. All of this stuff. Like, but, but what is God calling you to? And if it doesn't make sense, sometimes we just need to go without an explanation. I mean, maybe God is, is calling you to, to stop doing something. Maybe God is calling you to, to stay in a situation, or maybe God is calling you to address some ethical issues at work or, or moral issues at work or in your family, and it doesn't make sense, and you're, you're struggling with why, but if, if the answer's not yes, you might be missing an opportunity. I think, I think honestly, sometimes... There's, there is no more explanation coming this side of yes. So what do we do in that situation? There's no more explanation coming this side of our yes. What do we do? God is calling us to do something. I don't want us to miss the opportunity that he's calling us to just because we don't understand.